listening to Pregnancy Uncut, a new podcast dedicated to telling the untold and unspoken stories of pregnancy complications. We are your hosts, Drs. Alex Umbers and Cara Thompson. Pregnancy Uncut acknowledges the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land with which we record this. A special welcome to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, especially the mothers, daughters, sisters and aunties. Content warning, heads up guys, this podcast contains materials on pregnancy loss and complications and it may be confronting. Today on Pregnancy Uncut, we are talking all things perinatal mental health. And we have a resident expert, Hannah. Hello, welcome. Hello. Nice to be here. Lovely. Thank you for being here. So Hannah Jensen is a clinical psychologist with 15 years experience. She has a focus on perinatal mental health in her practice. Hannah, can you tell us what attracted you to the space of perinatal mental health? Yeah, sure. So I think initially it's that I love working with women. Um, and in the perinatal space, it means I also get to work with babies, um, which is just delightful. Um, I think it's a time where there's a lot of shift and change and, um, and sometimes we can be a bit more vulnerable, um, to our psychological well-being being impacted. Um, but it's also this amazing window of opportunity to work to give us motivation to work on things that maybe we've known of have been problematic or an issue in the past and having a baby and bringing a new person into the world is a great time to work on on those things. So can you talk us through some of the things that can go on for everyday mums as they transition from, you know, independent adult to new mother? Yeah, sure. So it's realistically, it's probably one of the biggest Um, developmental transitions that we go through as an adult. And we hear a lot about it before we have a child and people are more than willing to share how, you know, how challenging it can be and the sleeplessness that's involved. But until I think, you know, you experience it yourself, it's the intellectual um, knowledge of it and then the actual experience is is quite different. Will, you know, you'll often go from being um, this autonomous person who kind of has control over their days and their nights and um, doing things that fill you with joy and, um, you know, and things that you're really good at as well. And often things that you've been doing for, for a long time. And then you're kind of, then you go through this, you have a baby and everything kind of gets flipped on its head. And all of a sudden that time that all the the self-care things that you used to do to support your well-being, you know, going for a run or going to a yoga class are maybe not as possible as they were before. Um, The shift in sleep is huge. Having someone on you all the time um, and also kind of doing something that you've never done before. Uh, We're seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of the women I see are, are in their 30s and often have really established careers and are really great at what they do and are used to um, kind of being masters in in many different areas. And so when you have this little person put in your arms and you often don't know um, 
what you need to do and and there's lots of there's lots of wondering about hmm what's going on with that cry is it is it gas is are you hungry are you tired and so kind of yeah so it can be can be a really big shock to the system yeah absolutely and following on from that we know that a lot of birth parents experience baby blues mm. which can be very normal in the in the initial transition but how would you describe the difference between baby blues and a mental health diagnosis like anxiety or depression in the postnatal period? So I think that's a really great question um, because, you know, things like worry and sadness, um, these are all normal human emotions and we're we're always going to have them um, at some point in, in our lives. So I think generally when I would recommend people start to have a conversation um, with the people around them or with with a professional is when things are starting to feel a bit overwhelming. Um, if you're finding that, you know, when you have time to sleep, you're finding it difficult to sleep um, because your mind is really running. If you're finding that you're you're feeling like a, a bit of a slave to your baby's routine and and you're really anxious about, about pushing that out at all. Um, if you're finding that that you're crying most days um, and maybe even a couple of times a day, that's, I think that's a, that's a flag. Um, That means that you should be reaching out. Um, And yeah, if generally, if you're not, if you're not enjoying the things that you think you should be enjoying, um, yeah, I'd say it's a time to check in maybe with your GP or your maternal child health nurse and um, just, yeah, to see if there's anything that can, you know, support that you might benefit from. Yeah, excellent. Well, we are going to hear from a very brave woman, Jo, who's going to share her story of postnatal depression. So let's go to Jo. Welcome, Jo. Thank you. Hello. Lovely to have you here. Now, Jo is the mother of two sons, and she was just sharing a video of the wild boys rolling around wrestling their heads off. They look hilarious. <laughs> they are, very much so. You're here to share a very personal story of your experience of postnatal depression. Yeah, um, I have always been very open about my experience that I had um, after my second son. Um it was uh, a very interesting time in my life and um, an important part of my life. So I've always been really open to share my journey with people so they can understand a little bit more about um, postnatal depression, anxiety, and um, to know they're not alone. Yeah, excellent. I'm sure a lot of people are going to really find this episode interesting because we know postnatal depression affects one in seven women and one in 10 partners. So it's everywhere. So Joe, tell me about the pregnancy of your second son. My second pregnancy um, went well. Look, I had the normal symptoms. I had um, tiredness and morning sickness and um, I had pretty bad back pain for the second half of it, but generally it went, it went really well. Um, he was growing really well and you know, the doctors were all happy with how, how it went. So on the outside, yep, it was uh, it was good. Yeah, so pretty normal in, in that sense. Very normal. I was yeah. very lucky. I've been lucky with both my pregnancies. Um, yeah, it's been, yeah, they've been 
pretty good. Great. I say pretty good because I also found them really challenging, um, you know, being tired, not being able to do the things I usually do. But, you know, as on medically, they were, they were perfect. Yeah. Okay. And tell me about the birth experience of your second son. Well, it was very different um, to my first um, experience. Uh, the first one, I went into labour. I had an epidural, um, and then I had this beautiful, magical experience um, where he came, and I was—I felt great. I felt great, um, and then I spent a lovely four, four or five days in um, private health um, hospital. And I felt very relaxed and cared for. It was wonderful. My second birth, um, I woke up quite early in the morning and um, my waters had broken um, and I rang the hospital and the hospital was keen for me to come in, but not in a hurry, not in a hurry. Bring your bags, but don't bring them up. So I was pretty relaxed. I thought, oh, probably, you know, go in there and they'll say, go home, rest for a little bit, come back in later. Um, But when I arrived... Uh, they um, checked me out and said, yep, we're going to get you moving right now. So I was a bit in a bit of shock um, because I hadn't had any um, contractions. Um, I was feeling fine. So I was, I was pretty confused. Yeah. Um, so were you fully dilated at that stage? I must or? have been. I must have been fully dilated. Um, and... Uh, you know, this was 7.30 in the morning. Eight o'clock I went into um, the the room and he was um, in my arms about half an hour later. Wow. So, so it was really, super fast. Yeah, a precipitous later. Yeah, that's yep. right. Yeah. Yep. So, again, really lucky, really normal, um, as everyone kept telling me. Well done. You're amazing. You just had a baby really... Um, quickly without any um, drugs or extra help. Well done, you're a superstar. So the um, feedback you were getting after the birth was this narrative of like you're a really powerful woman, you've done amazing, you know, you should be feeling great. Yeah, absolutely. And how were you feeling on the inside? Oh, that feeling um, straight after was just so confusing. I just felt traumatised absolutely traumatised from the birth. Um, I kept feeling that I should be so proud of myself, but I I wasn't. I was just confused Mm. and I just had no idea what had happened. Um, And um, over those coming days, weeks, I kept asking my amazing husband who was there the whole time, what happened next? What happened next? Um, why did they do this? And then why are they saying that I did this? Or why was I standing like that or making that noise? Because I was just so confused mm-hmm. about what had happened in such a quick um, space of time. And you were trying to sort of process yeah. what happened and, and yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to know more. I just wanted to process it. And I think that was the beginning of my um, oh, journey of confusion and not understanding what was happening to me, I guess, in that way. And, um, yeah, so I went home the next day um, after a very noisy night in the hospital um, without my husband because I was in um, public and um, I just remember sitting on the couch 
folding the washing, just thinking, what has just happened to be, I'm home again, I've got this beautiful baby. But, oh, I was just, yeah, it was a really, it was a real out-of-body experience for me. Um, And again, just everyone that came to see me, every text message was, wow, this is amazing, well done you, you're a superstar. And, um, yeah, I just wasn't feeling it. Mm. I wasn't feeling like me at all, straight up. What did you want someone to ask you at that point? Um, I've thought about this a lot, you know, um, almost three years on. And I, I think I just need, wanted that time with someone to talk about it. I wanted someone to just talk me through exactly what, what had happened and what my body was doing and um, just allow me to ask questions. Um, I think that for me... I went through the labour and then it was like a done job, off you go. And I just, yeah, that this huge thing had just happened to me in my body, huge. And it's just not recognised. I didn't feel like that was recognised. Mm. And um, for me that was, yeah, really hard to comprehend, yeah. It was like from what you described, that opportunity to transition safely mm. was somehow yeah. missed. Yeah, yeah, and I think with lots of things that happen in your life, you have time to reflect about it um, with people, uh, tra- traumatic things that happen in your life. And it's not, it, and I hate using that word traumatic, but that's just how I felt because it's a wonderful thing that happened to me, but that's how I felt mm. at the time. And then I guess that was that confusion in my mind as well. I was like, Mate, you should think it's wonderful, but you don't. Why don't you think it's wonderful? Why are you feeling this? Is something wrong with you? You know, it's, yeah. So that was trying to process all that was very difficult. Yeah. It sounds like a really confusing yeah. time. Tell me, Joe, what the next few weeks at home looked and felt like with your new baby. Look, the next few weeks, um, look, they were wonderful. Jimmy, Jimmy's a beautiful baby. Um, he was never a good sleeper, ever. He never went through that sleepy stage that everyone loves where you can, you know, they just sleep all day and they you pick them up and they can sleep in your arms, you put them down, they sleep. I never had any of that with Jimmy. Jimmy um, loved to be cuddled. Um, he had terrible gas, <laughs> terrible gas, which made him feel very uncomfortable day and night. Um, and what about his feeding? What was that like? Yeah, so his feeding, he was quite um, restless um, when he was. I was feeding him. I'd come from a... Um, the previous baby that I had just loved being on the boob, loved it, loved it, loved it, um, and just fed so easily. And I guess Jimmy just didn't. So it was tricky. It was tricky with the feeding. Um, I was determined, but um, in hindsight, I think that that was an issue. Um, hindsight's a great thing. <laughs> you look back and go, oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's probably why, that's probably why. So, yeah, he was, um, he was a tricky feeder. He also... Um, had bronchitis, um, I think about seven times in his first year, pretty badly. Um, the sec, the first time he ever had it, um, he was actually hospitalised for a week. So he was seven weeks old. So um, that was very challenging, very challenging time, very scary time. Um, he wasn't feeding it well during that time at all. Um, so that was quite stressful. Mm. So I think a perfect storm was brewing. 
during that period. Um, feeding the sickness, um, I actually slipped my disc again, um, which I had done previously. So were you sort of stuck in bed? Yeah, or, or stuck in bed for a couple of weeks. Um, I just wasn't getting any sleep. Yeah, there was no sleep. There was no sleep, and. What I was finding is I was so stressed about sleeping, so stressed to the point where um, I couldn't go to sleep. I was so tired, but I was so stressed about sleeping that I couldn't sleep. Mm. So it was a constant cycle. I was just so on edge. Um, and then over time, it just, it was just slowly over time, it was getting worse, yep. that um, anxiety. And when did you start to feel like things were overwhelming you? Um, I do, it must've been a couple of months in when the, when the lack of sleeping was really taking a toll where I was just, my mood swings and that crying. I remember standing at the, um, the kitchen sink crying one day because he, he, I just couldn't manage him. He was just, you know, he was crying. He wouldn't let me put him down. He wasn't having naps. Um, my older child was, you know, a three-year-old and he was challenging in his own way as well. Um, and I just remember thinking, oh God, I'm still here. I'm doing this again. I don't know what to do. Um, did you reach out to anyone at that point or did anyone, anyone in your support community notice that there was a struggle happening at home? I think I was doing that really great thing that women tend to do, which is, I'm okay, I'm okay. Yes, I'm not sleeping. Yes, it's really hard, but I'm okay, I'm okay. Just minimising. Just minimising, saying it and then pulling it back a bit more. Mm. Saying it, pulling it back. I'm not coping, but, you know, I'll be fine, I'll be fine to everyone. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's hard to admit you're falling apart, Um. But when you do, it's such a relief. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I come from a beautiful family and an incredible group of friends that support each other so much. But yet, you know, I this, I kind of, you know, slipped through the cracks a bit. Yeah. 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 I wanted to touch on that. Um, normally as a first or second time mum or parent even, touching base with various health professionals in the first few months because it is such a time of vulnerability. I was just wondering, uh, was there a point at which you were ready to reach out to someone and or was there a missed opportunity there that someone could have thrown you a lifeline a bit earlier? Yep. um, On reflection, again, um, I had a new maternal health nurse um, in a new area of town because I'd moved and I loved my old maternal health nurse. I had such a wonderful relationship with her and I still do. Um, And I saw, I just didn't have that bond with the new nurse. Um, And I think it must've been my four month checkup and I came in and I just felt like crap at the time. And I thought, here's the time. Someone's going to realise that I'm going to do that test they do, the mental health test, and it's going to come up and then maybe I can get referred. So you were ready to spill the beans. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was ready. I was exhausted and I was feeling horrible and I was crying daily. And um, I went in there and I just remember she, she wasn't actually there. It was a replacement. And 
I, I don't think she made eye contact with me. It was bizarre. And I waited and waited and she had a chat to everything, ticked all the boxes and she didn't do the test. And I just remember walking out and going home, walking home just going, oh, okay, bugger, bugger. And um, I think maybe I had my sort of, um, I guess, a breakdown in a way um, about a week later, I think. Um, about a week later I just, the sleeping was just, you know, an hour a night broken, if that, over weeks and weeks and weeks and I was just so stressed and um, I, um, yeah, just woke up one morning I just could not get out of bed. So, and I remember saying to my husband, I can't get out of bed. I can't get out of bed today. And I this can't. is, you, had you ever been in that headspace oh, before no. with your previous pregnancy or? No, never, never. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Even though I'd been feeling, un, you know, sad and had high anxiety in the weeks coming up, I had never felt like this. I didn't even know that you could feel like this. Mm. Like that was this, oh, it was crazy. What What did the lowest point feel like for you? It was very dark. It was very scary. Um, I just felt I didn't know how I was ever going to feel any feel better again. I was so sad for myself as well. Like I just, I just thought, oh no, you know, you've got a great life. What is going on? <laughs> and so, e- even with all these positive aspects of your life, and there were very real challenges as well mm. um, within your baby. You know, even with a lot of the what we'd call protective factors, mm. it's it seemed like mm, your postnatal depression didn't discriminate. Not you know? at all. And I think um, maybe that was part of it as well, of me trying to pretend it wasn't happening because on the outside I have, you know, I have got an incredible life. I don't have those challenges of other people. I didn't have a traumatic birth sense, um, birth labour in the traditional sense. Yeah. Um, so, you know, why why would I be unhappy? I've got it all and, you know, and I guess that was what I was trying to fight myself as well. It's like, no, get over it, get over it, you'll be fine, get on with it, get on with it. Like you should be feeling I should be way. fine, absolutely, yeah, and you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going apparently. And I just, on this day, it's like my body just went, you know what, you're exhausted, you can't keep going, so you're going to stay in bed. And... um. And it looked like that for a couple of days. And then um, I was so lucky with my husband. He's been incredible. And we went and saw um, a local GP. And so did he Did he say we need to do something about this? Or did, like, who, who um, prompted that interaction with a healthcare professional at that stage? Me. Um, I wanted to go to the doctor straight away. As soon as I felt horrible, I was like, we need to go to the doctor because I didn't know what it was. I didn't realise and then I slowly realised, okay, actually this this is mental. Um, and, yeah, so he, my husband was amazing. He took straight away took time off work um, and took over looking after Jimmy. But, of course, I was still getting up and feeding um, and I could still hear Jimmy through the wall. <laughs> So, you know, you never actually get any sleep yeah. still. You don't ever fully switch off, do you? Yeah, never. Um, and then we did go see the GP and um, he scribbled on a piece of paper, told me to go for a walk and to do some mindfulness. And it was a really interesting experience because um, 
I just, I needed some serious help at that point and it, he wasn't really there for me that day. <laughs> so you were essentially arriving in a heap in an absolute crisis, the lowest of low yep. and yep. and the the opportunity to change the course was met with have a walk or practice some yeah. positive psychology. Yeah. Which, which can be really good strategies in the early days. Yep. But at a crisis point, you needed something else. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've done study on positive psychology and I um, see lots of benefits from doing those things daily and I have in the past, but this was different. And I think that's really important that people understand that there's there's managing mental health and then there's it gets to a point when you actually need to get some, some serious help. Um, and that was me on that day. And, uh, you know, it was not a positive experience for me. We, I tried those things. I went, okay, I was willing to do what any, what anyone told me to do. I did not want to feel like this. And that was a really extraordinary thing about my journey was after those few days in bed, I just really, I said to myself, you're not doing this. This is not you. This is not you. What you want out of life, you've got. You're going to have to do everything you can to feel better. And I'm always feel so blessed that that's how I felt. Um, I had no desire to feel like crap anymore for anyone, for my family, for my husband. I could see the pain it was causing my extended family, um, my and my friends. It was heartbreaking, and I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I I, I took those strategies from my doctor, and then after about a week. I still was feeling pretty crap. I went back again and I was so lucky. I had the most extraordinary woman um, doctor who just said, okay, we're going to sort you out. And um, she popped me on medication, um, which was took a while to settle in, but it, it saved me. It absolutely saved me and allowed me to then do those strategies, that self-care that I needed to do um, to help my mental health because I, I was so low, I couldn't have done anything. I needed the help. My personality um, is not, I'm a, I'm a very motivated person for, to live a good life. You know, I've always, you know, I will always want to try new things, do new things um, and just love life. And that's why I think it was such a shock for me. Mm. Um, it was just like, oh, wow. And that's, I think for me, I was also, I don't want to do this. I don't want to live my like this life like this. I want to go back to work one day and be that, do what I love in the workplace and, you know, be there for the kids. So, Joe, can I just ask, when you were in that dark place, could you, could you see a future at that point? Could you imagine getting back to normal or did it seem like a step too far? No, I couldn't see things getting better. Um, it's really interesting when I look back on it. And at that point, yeah, I just remember thinking, how am I going to teach again? How am I going to, you know, be able to hold a job, um, especially in those initial few days? But then over, you know, a period of a week, I start. It started, you know, I started coming out of that cave, and I was like, no, no. And you, I wasn't you saw thinking, the light. Yes, I saw the light, but I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I wasn't thinking about um, my job and things at that point, or how I was going to run have a family and run a family home. It was more at that point I was just thinking, okay, how can I just not have this horrible feeling in my chest anymore? That was my main thing. It was awful. So, um, or just having catastrophizing about everything. 
let's just work on those things. Yeah. So if I can just focus on that this week and then next week I might focus on, um, you know, just trying to breathe a bit more or um, doing a little bit more um, exercise or I just took it in really small steps um, and then slowly, you know, and then after a couple of months of really working hard and I, I did, I worked so hard, I just, I just didn't want to feel like that. Mm. And after a few months I just remember thinking, oh, my gosh, I feel great. I feel really good. I feel in control. I have triggers, you know, sleep is massive for me um, as it is for everyone. But I have friends that, you know, can live off five hours sleep. I can't be that. I am not that person. Um, And, you know, it's a joke with a lot of my friends that I go to bed at 7.38, but I do because I love it and I have to. It's actually, it's something I have to do if I want to be a functional human being and the best person I want to be. So... Yeah, there's just, we all have triggers and I'm just so alert to them now and I work on them every day. Mm. And um, yeah, and that's how I think I got out of it. But yeah, it's a very much a journey though and it's going to be a journey for the rest of my life. Um, but I've accepted that and I'm, I'm really proud of what this situation that happened to me has made me today. So a lot stronger, a lot less naive, um, and I say no a lot more now too, which is good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's really it's so important to have boundaries. Yeah, everything. It's everything. I mean, we've recently moved. We've made huge life changes so that, you know, we enjoy life is a little bit simpler and that we enjoy our family more and it's just a, taking a whole lot of elements away from it and, yeah, having boundaries as well. One thing I wanted to ask Joe was, Part of the experience of postnatal depression can affect your bonding with your baby. Is that something you experienced or did it did it affect how you felt about your baby in terms of your symptoms? I feel really lucky that wasn't something I had an issue with. I remember on some of those really hard days um, looking at him and telling him, it's not you. It's got nothing to do with you. You know, you're amazing. You're fantastic. This isn't about you. Yes, all these things are happening, but, you know, in my head it was never about, oh, gosh, I wish I didn't have a baby or I wish I didn't do this. It was nothing to do with that. So, no, I was really lucky. It is for some people, but, um, it, I mean, mental health looks different for everyone and postnatal depression, anxiety looks different for everyone. Everyone has different causes and triggers. And, um, yeah, for me it was... That, you know, that storm, that storm was lots of little things. Going back to your recovery process, um, you mentioned when we've met previously about the role of Panda. Do you want to talk me through how they came into the journey? Yes, I would love to. Um, So about, the must have been maybe day three or day four of when I was feeling pretty dark, I made, I was Googling trying to find out how to, what to do, what was I going to do, what what do you do in this situation? And I came across the Panda um, Association that focuses on people that are in exactly the same situation as me um, and I called them and I remember I called, um, they picked up and I just cried. I cried and cried and cried and this incredible woman just listened to me and she was just... 
extraordinary. I don't think I got a word out. And she just <laughs> she just listened to me and then we probably spent about two hours on the phone together just talking through everything. So the women um, on the hotline are people that have recovered or um, have experienced postnatal anxiety, depression, um, and they go through a training and they are extraordinary. So they ask you the right questions, but they, um, you know, they so they're make women you, or parents with lived experience. Lived experience, yeah. absolutely. Um, and they just make you feel not alone. And that was exactly what I needed at that point was for someone to say, you're not alone, this happens. This happens to people all the time. It's horrible and it's okay to feel like this. Um, and straight away I went, oh, gosh, thank God. Okay. And they then followed up conversations with emails, you know, with links, Um they called me every single day wow. for about two weeks, every day. And they all sound the same because they've all had the same training. So it's like you're talking to the same person. <laughs> They're extraordinary. And then it, after the two weeks, it was every couple of days. And then it was every couple of weeks. And then, you know, every couple of, like once or twice after that, um, just checking, just checking and checking. It was, um, it was a really incredible experience for me to know that there was so much support there. And, um, you know, they had my address, so they knew how to, you know, put me into, um, you know, into contact with people that were local to me that might be able to help. Um, they were just extraordinary. And if without them, I would not have got through it. Mm. So, yep, I just, it's, it's incredible. And they now, um, you know, if you jump on their website, they've got links and podcasts and um, readings and stories of people people's experiences and um yeah it's just it's just fantastic it's just a great resource for um for women and men as well and because we've got to remember that men go through this and the ripple effect of mental health um is is really challenging for partners and I know for my partner you know watching me was really hard um and it must have taken a huge toll on him and his life. So, you know, there's a lot of support for them as well. What, just reflecting on that, what what do you think partners can do to support? Oh gosh, the birth parent uh, going through something like that. What what do you see their role as based on your experience? I think that um, this to be there, to listen, to talk through everything with them and we have to talk, we have to be open to them about how we're feeling and ask for help. My goodness, just ask for help. And I think partners need to take the time to be at home. They need to be at home um, during those first couple of weeks because it just needs to be about the mother for a while, that mother and the baby. I really felt like I just didn't put myself second or even third or fourth, <laughs> like I just, I just didn't, and that's what I needed. But I should have also told people, I'm actually going to bed now. I'm actually going to do this now. I need, I need help with this. I think that, yeah, it's, it's challenging, and every relationship's different. And I was so lucky. I was so lucky, and am so lucky. Um, but yeah, you've, yeah, just to listen. Joe, we've touched on just how common postnatal depression and anxiety are. What yet we still find it really hard to talk about. Mm. 
what do you think we can do as a community or in our support networks in terms of destigmatizing this so that it's not a hard conversation to have so that we are looking out for each other? I think um, knowledge is key. I don't think we have a no, I, I had no idea. I had no idea this could happen to me. Um, and I'm really lucky in the sense that I can see if anyone's um, now struggling because I've had that insight. But I think for for the community, we just need to learn. We just need to learn more about it um, and understand it. This is not a choice of a person. This is not Nothing is wrong with this person. They're going through something. They need help. They need support. They don't need judgment. They need, you know, it's a, they need to cry for help. Absolutely. You know, I, I was so afraid to tell people that I felt like crap. Um, but why? But why? Like, you know, it's such an important part of me, this stage of my life, and it's made me grow. You know, I always wanted to be a mum. I've always wanted to be on and I love it. I love it. But I have to admit that it has been the most challenging experience of my life. And, um, yeah, it's still going to be. It's very early days, but it is wonderful. <laughs> it is a wonderful thing. My boys are incredible um, and I'm just learning so much about myself through them. Joe, we often hear that, you know, it takes a village to raise a child what do you think we can do as a village to try and prevent people reaching a crisis point in the way that you did or perhaps even supporting people to recover from something like postnatal depression? I think what I've learned from my village is to create your village as well. I think it's really important. The world looks a bit different now than it once did, but, you know, create your WhatsApp groups. Create um, your special lunches. Um, create that core friendship group. Like re- create a group. Create the village with your friends, um, and lean on them, and you, they will lean back on you as well. You've got to. We've got to be proactive with each other, um, especially mothers. We've just got to, you know, really lean on each other and really help each other. Um, and you know, if someone is going back to work, offer to help out in some way, drop over some food, um, just check in. I think when I was going through what I went through, I just loved it every now and then, you know, certain people just send that a message just saying, I'm thinking of you, you yell when you need me, just to let you know I'm thinking of you. And my friends were extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary um, and extraordinary mothers and that's when I first realised what a support group I had um, and they taught me a lot about reaching out to other people. So, yeah, I think, yeah, lean on people a bit more. I think I could have leaned on people a bit more. So, Joe, you've talked a bit about the importance of, of your village and leaning in and asking for help and, mm-hmm. and checking in. Are there practical things when someone might be at the really pointy end of a challenging period or, you know, perhaps have a having had a new diagnosis of a perinatal mental health condition, mm-hmm. what are the things that, practical things that people in the community can do? Um, I think that, you know, similar to when you first have a baby, dropping off food, um, offering to take their other children or that child for a walk so they can just have some quiet time. Um, 
just checking in with messages and phone calls, sending something, or just being there on the end of the phone, taking an hour out of your day to sit down and listen to them um, and understand what's going on. I think, yeah, the talking's a really important part. Um, I think it's one thing I had did learn during that period of time was that I didn't want to be taken somewhere where I didn't want to go. <laughs> so, you know, let's go for a wine. If I didn't feel up for it, I just, I, I just don't do that if you don't feel up to it. <laughs> or even just if people want to go out for lunch and you don't feel up to it, you know, it's important to do what you want to do and give yourself that self-care um, and have your boundaries again to make sure that you are work, you know, doing something that you feel ready to do. You posted a very personal note about your experience sometime after you had recovered. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about what led you to write that post and what the reaction was like? And I just thought, I've got to share my story. I've just got to share it because I felt so strong and I felt well. And I thought, I've got to share this so that other people don't feel alone the way that I did. Um, So I sat down and wrote something pretty quickly. Like I just sat down and wrote it and it was panned a week, a week where um, they're acknowledging all the work that Panda does um, and awareness. So I posted it that week and I got so many messages, Um, lots of beautiful um, posts on my post, but then in my private um, DMs, I got about 20 or 30 um, messages from people just telling me they had gone through exactly the same thing. And, and I, what were they people that you had any idea or inkling that may no. have already been through the same struggles you were encountering? Yeah, no, no, not at all. There were, some of them were very close to me and I didn't know and who still have I don't think, um, admitted it out loud, um, do you think that's because of the shame or stigma oh, around this, yeah. this motherhood that, you know, should be all rainbows and lollipops? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's still not something that people want to admit and, and that's why I posted it because I wanted to, you know, show people that this happened to me and I'm okay and I work hard on things and I'm okay. You and, and you're not a bad mother. No, I'm an amazing mum. <laughs> I am. I often tell my husband that. <laughs> I'm so good. Um, there's a lot of crafts at my house. It's great. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's it's it was really sad for me to feel that these people had gone through these things and I had no idea. And they looked exactly like I did on Instagram. You know, great, having a great time. So... Yeah, I often go back to that post though and kind of remind myself of my journey um, and often just to reassure myself that that was okay to post that. When you really didn't start to feel like yourself, your husband said something to you that gave you permission to not be okay. What was it that he said? Uh, he just kept saying to me, this is a, this is a thing that happens to people. Um, this is a big thing. <laughs> you know, people get depression, anxiety. We have an, a huge issue in Australia. You know, you're, you're one of these people. That's okay. This is, you're not alone. You're not alone. 
Um, and it was just great. It was that reassurance that, oh, okay, other people are going through this. I'm one in seven, you know, one in seven. I mean, it's huge. Um, and it just made me feel, it just validated everything that was happening to me. He was, and it always said it at the right moment. He's very good like that. Um, but yeah, that just that validation and reassurance that you're not alone. I keep going back to that, don't I? It's just, um, it was such a big thing for me during that period. How do you feel now having shared your story? Nervous. <laughs> still nervous. <laughs> I'm still nervous. Um, no, look, it's, it's very important to me. It's very important to me and you've got to, you got to walk the walk, um, not just talk the talk. Um, and, you know, I need to model this to my kids and to my students in the classroom that, you know, we need to talk about this and um, it's not okay. It's okay to not be feeling okay. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it feels powerful. So I hope that people will listen and um, will learn something from it. And we're back in the hot seat to discuss Joe's story with our clinical psychologist and perinatal health, Hannah. What an incredible story Joe has shared with us. How did you feel listening to that? Uh, I think I felt quite a few different emotions. Um, one of the things that, that really struck me was I think it's so great that she shared her story um, and what a brave thing to do. Um, I think something that comes across really strongly in her story is that there is stigma and around kind of a, a postnatal mental health diagnosis and struggling postnatally and um, and it's a big barrier to reaching out and and getting help. So the fact that she has done that is that she's come out and I think reducing the stigma by by speaking about her experience is fantastic. Yeah. And I found it really interesting that when she reflected on her social media post that she got a lot of private messages from 20 or 30 people in her fairly close circle that said, I'd been through the same thing. Postnatal depression anxiety doesn't need to be hidden, but it really is still, you know, something that gets talked about behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah. One thing that jumped out to me, I guess, was when Joe started to feel that things just weren't right was around the birth experience. Mm. What stood out to you about that from a um, sort of warning signs perspective? So something that Joe mentioned that I that really resonated with me was her use of the word trauma. Um, and so she she spoke about how it seemed that other people thought that she'd had a great birth, um, whereas that wasn't her experience at all. And I think it's really important to note that two people can have very similar experiences and the experience can be traumatic for one and not for the other. And so it's really how that individual experiences um, that event um, determines whether it's traumatic or not. And she goes on to talk about the sort of perfect storm of, you know, how her baby wasn't sleeping, there was feeding issues, he was a bit of a restless baby with some sickness as well in hospital admissions. In your experience of speaking to many, many other mums and partners, is the perfect storm something that happens to everyone? Oh, look, I think that um, there are, from Joe's story, there's definitely things that it was kind of 
you know, one thing on top of another, really, that I imagine wore down her resilience um, with with each step. Um, but I think that someone, you know, I can speak to, to women who don't have any of those factors and yet still experience postnatal depression. Some of the symptoms Jo talked about with her postnatal depression were not being able to get out of bed or shower and worrying about sleep so much that she would actually have the opposite effect and lose mm. sleep and those feelings of absolute hopelessness and, and being in a cave. What are some of the other prominent emotions that can feature with depression? Um, something that I see a lot of is guilt um, and that's guilt for everything. Um, often women will say that they don't feel like they're good enough mothers if they're experiencing, you know, a lot of sadness, um, they feel guilty if they cry in front of their baby. They feel guilty that they're not available enough for their baby. Um, they feel guilty that they're not a good enough mother. Um, and I think that we often expect a lot of ourselves and we expect a level of perfection. Um, and sometimes we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break and recognise that Actually, a perfect mother doesn't exist. Oh, she does not. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> um, I think something else that's important to note is sometimes when we experience postnatal depression or anxiety, something that can come along with that is um, a feeling like we're not bonding with our baby as we should. Uh, so often society tells us that when we have a baby, we should feel this overwhelming love and a love like we've never known before. And that doesn't happen for everyone. And so again, guilt comes in. You know, when we meet someone for the first time um, at a party or in a workspace, we don't expect to know everything about them immediately. We need to learn how they communicate. Um, we need to learn about their personality. And they're also the things that we need to learn about our baby when we have them. So why do we have such different expectations for when we meet our baby than when we meet anyone else. One thing that really jumped out to me in Joe's story was those moments where there was an opportunity for her to have an early intervention that were missed by a, a maternal child health nurse and, and then a GP. In your experience, Hannah, do you see other barriers for women in terms of reaching out for help? Alex, I think you touch on something that um, really jumped out to me as well in that interview of kind of, um, yeah, not once but twice reaching out and um, both times not getting the response that, that she was really looking for. Um, and I think it takes, I think that there is um, still a lot of stigma around postnatal depression, postnatal anxiety and other mental health issues. And a lot of a lot of stigma around kind of or an expectation that this should be an incredibly joyous, delightful and happy time. And for some women that is the case, um, but it's certainly not the case for everyone. And I think that if people are feeling hopeless, if they're feeling, um, you know, like they are in 
that really dark place, they can feel like there's something wrong with them and that they're ungrateful, that they should be feeling better. Yeah, the um, word should came up a lot, didn't it? Yeah, it I did. should, I should be enjoying this. This should be a wonderful experience. And yet mm. for Jo, there was a complete mismatch between the reality of what she was feeling and what she wanted to feel. Yeah, yeah. And so I think the... The reality versus the expectations um, of parenthood, of our experience of becoming a mother or a parent, um, when those don't match up and when we feel like we should be feeling a certain way and we're just not, it can be really hard to admit. And so I think that that is a really big barrier to overcome to seeking help. Yeah. And I think that's something that we really need to take away as as health professionals, um, is that we need to make it as easy as possible for people to say, hey, I'm struggling and I need support. Yeah. And just based on the stats alone, we know this is so common. So even for someone who's not coming and asking for help, we should be offering and checking in, right? Yeah. Yeah. As opportunities for early intervention could hopefully prevent someone preventing uh presenting in a major depressive crisis. Yeah. Jo reflected that it was really hard for her to admit she was falling apart and feeling like crap, but then went on to say that, God, it was such a relief when she did. In your experience with being sometimes the first point of contact with women in terms of their healing recovery journey through postnatal depression and anxiety, what does that first appointment look like? So often the first appointment is the woman sharing her experience and telling her story. Um, and often at the end of that, you know, sometimes women come in and they feel like they're going crazy or they're losing their minds and um, and that, again, they shouldn't be feeling like this. Um, and so, you know, being able to say that this is something that I see quite a lot. Um, and I work with a lot of women with similar experiences, just that validation of their experience. And in a way, you know, letting, knowing, uh, for the women, knowing that they're not alone in this, they're not isolated, um, can be in itself just a huge relief and release. Mm. And then also at the end of the session, we talk about, well, where to from here? And you're in this really difficult place. So what can we do together in this room and also outside of this room to get you, you know, to reach your goals, to get you to a place where you want to be? Yeah. And there are multiple strategies and and people will need a different combination of these various things. But yeah, touching base with your GP for a mental health care plan, getting referred to a psychologist and some of those first points of contact with your maternal child health nurse. Um, and, and what are some of the other things if people can reach out to if they feel like they're heading towards a bit of a crisis point? So I think that you've you've mentioned some of the best things, some um, the regular maternal child health appointments. There's also the maternal child health line um, that's 24-7. If you're feeling like it's um, you need support immediately, there's also a couple of other um, resources. So there's Panda, which Joe spoke about, um, and there's also, you know, other crisis support lines. So Lifeline, 
Beyond Blue, those last two are 24 hours, seven days a week. Um, So someone will always be available. In terms of winding up our special episode on perinatal mental health, what sort of messages would you like our community to know about postnatal depression and anxiety? Um, Look, I think Joe is such an amazing voice to give to this and something that she said that I would like to reiterate is that postnatal anxiety and depression, it doesn't discriminate. You know, it can, you can have all the protective factors in the world and it can still happen to you. Even if you have gone through a really long and difficult journey to become a mother and when you do become a mother, it doesn't look like you expected or you're not experiencing it the way that you thought you would and um, that can be really hard. And so I think it can happen to anyone, no matter how wanted um, this little baby is. And the other thing that I'd like to say is that often when I when I see people um, in my practice is they will have waited to get to a crisis point. I encourage people, if you're starting to notice some of those red flags that we talked about at the beginning of the episode, reach out, talk to your um, talk to your own support network and then also your professional support network. And if you can get support and, you know, some strategies in place before you hit that crisis point, um, you know, that, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking time to chat with us today, Hannah. We really appreciate your clinical experience and um, reflections on Joe's story. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alex. That's it for today. If you got something out of this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. Also, we love hearing from you. If you have feedback or suggestions, email us at pregnancy.uncut at gmail.com or you can find us at pregnancyuncut.com or on Instagram. If you or someone you know wants to share their story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Talk soon.